Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. Welcome into the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. I am Casey Light. You can find me on Twitter at Light on His Feet. I'm excited to be joined this afternoon by Doug Ottawa, editor in chief of Mile High Sports Magazine. You can find him on Twitter at D Ottawa. Folks, we are just one week away from the start of regular season baseball. Colorado Rockies open their season in Arizona, March 29th, uh, and all eyes. For the Colorado Rockies this year will be on the pitching. That's why I have Doug here. He's going to talk about the outstanding article that he wrote for Mile High Sports Magazine and our baseball preview in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about Tap 14, the presenting sponsor of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. You can find them at 1920 Blake Street, just one half block from Coors Field. They have 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, awesome American Alpine fare that's locally sourced and rotates seasonally. We will be there throughout the baseball season at their terrific rooftop patio, enjoying the sights and sounds of lower downtown as rocky season rolls along. We may even be there next week as the season kicks off. Doug, welcome to Blake Street Irregulars, or should I say, welcome back. You're becoming a little yeah. bit of a regular on I the like Blake it. Street Irregulars. Irregular, irregular. Exactly. So, Doug, you you penned a fantastic story for Mile High Sports Magazine, which will be out on newsstands next Friday and available online next Friday, uh, just to coincide perfectly with the start of Rockies' right. season. Uh, it's about the Rockies' pitching and how, for the first time after 25 seasons, the Rockies think they have it figured out. I think they might, which is, I think, I don't know what's more of a surprise that the Rockies are focused and in, I should say intently focused on becoming a pitching organization or that fans actually believe this at this point, that the, that the fan, fans and media types like you and I can actually sit back and go, you know what? They might have figured this thing out. I think that's a pretty exciting notion for anybody who's ever followed this baseball team. It's not even so much the fans believe it. The Rockies within the clubhouse and from top to that's bottom the inside of that organization believe it. And and that's really where I, I want to talk about, about your experience down in Scottsdale uh, over the last couple of weeks because you were down there talking with a lot of the, the folks who really – helped change this perception from from day one. And it begins with Jeff Breidish, the general manager, yeah. longtime member of the organization, uh, but has really been at the top of the organization for a few years now. He has made pitching a priority. And I think what, what most people probably wouldn't or don't realize is how much Jeff Breidish's influence, as soon as the day he took the job as GM, uh, has had on the Rockies' approach to pitching. Because I think last year we started to see it and I guess that would have been uh, Jeff Breidich's third year as the as the club's GM. Um, we started to see the the you know the fruits of his labor, so to speak. But I think this year you you can really identify it based on the numbers of guys they have that are that are quality pitchers, um, the types of guys that he's brought in, not just this year but last year too, um, and the types of trades and transactions that they're you know kind of repeatedly uh, going after in the offseason. Um, and with regards to, you know, trading big guys like like Troy Tulowitzki, I think, you know, when you really start to add it up and you start to piece together what Jeff Breidich has done over the last four years, he's really put his stamp on this thing. And I think that this year might be the year that people can really go, ah, I see what he's doing there. And I think that's pretty that's pretty cool. Yeah, not just the, the types of guys. And, and when you talk about the guys that Jeff Breidich targeted, we're not just talking about players on the field. Obviously, they're the ones who determine the wins and losses, but they're backed up by a slew of 
organizational development folks, and, and most importantly, when they get to the major leagues, they're, they're backed up by a pair of pitching coaches. And I, I thought that was the thing that was the most interesting as I was reading the preview of your story is the, the role that the Rockies pitching coaches at the major league level have played in developing this new culture. You know, Jeff Breidish will get a lot of credit for convincing Dick Monfort to start spending money again. He did that this offseason with over $100 million worth of commitments to the bullpen specifically. Um, A lot of credit goes there. You talk about that. But I think what was most interesting to me in this story was the philosophy change and sort of the mindset change that he's put that he's entrusted Steve Foster the pitching coach and Darren Holmes the bullpen coach to really enact within this not just major league club but top to bottom on the roster yeah I think it goes back to in the story I refer to as a as a pitching summit and the result of that pitching summit is what they often call the plan but it's really and it's it's kind of funny because it's 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 fairly simple in terms of principle. It's let's teach everybody in the organization the same basic principles that we want them to have or have mastered by the time they get to the major leagues. So there's a very step-by-step process. They don't uh, flood these guys with information as soon as they get there when they're you know fresh out of their uh, draft class or whatever. I think that between uh, Foster and Holmes and Breidich and a lot of guys really within that uh, pitching command, chain of command, so to speak, they put together just uh, a step-by-step process of here's how we're going to develop a Colorado Rockies pitcher. And I really think that, you know, as we were just talking about, it, it's been four years now since Jeff Breidish took the job. And I would imagine that that's probably a, a fair, you know, time frame to watch this thing grow and watch it work. Because as he said to me in the interview, you got to start somewhere and you can't do it all at once. But I think that somewhere was three, three years ago and they've added bits and pieces every single year. And now you're really starting to see that it has worked. Well, let's talk a little bit about the specifics that Foster outlined uh, in terms of what they're looking for from a physical standpoint. uh, Here's what Steve Foster had to say. We wanted to go after hard foreseen guys. Good spin rates on curveballs, sliders, mechanically sound guys. And I think when you look at the Rockies' starting rotation, especially uh, from last year, that's one of the things that has that stood out to me, as especially with those four young rookies that came in, is those guys... I, I used to talk about Greg Maddox, uh, who, when you talk about a mechanically sound pitcher, there was probably no pitcher in baseball who did more with less than Greg Maddox, right? We used to say that Greg Maddox could would could deliver the baseball from a phone booth, right? Because right. his mechanics so his, tight. His his windup was so tight, so compact. Um, and that's one of the things that's always kind of been a a point of contention for me with the Colorado Rockies. Now, look, I, I, the highest I ever made it was Division Two baseball. So far be it for me to sit here and say that I know what it takes to get above and beyond that level. But you do understand the physics but of But I pitching. do understand some of the fundamental things yeah. of pitching. And, and there are things about Rockies pitchers. If you remember back a few years back, and, and I can't even – forgive me for not recalling who the pitching coach was, but you remember it was probably six, eight years ago, every single Rockies pitcher had what I would call a hitch in his giddy-up. Right, right. They right. Had that weird little thing where they they did this little touch the touch the ground before they deliver back and it was just it was odd. Tyler Anderson kind of has that still to this day, but I think that's unique to Tyler Anderson. And if you remove that, the rest of his windup is is pretty it's clean. pretty sound. Yeah, but every single Rockies pitcher had that, and you're going, what is this? You know, 
what is this? I, it didn't make any sense. You look at the four guys, those especially those rookies, Herman Marquez, Antonio Sensatella, Kyle Freeland, and Jeff Hoffman uh, to a degree. Every single one of them is tight and compact and mechanically sound. John Gray is the one, I think, outlier a little bit. I, I would still love to see John Gray tighten things up a little bit. But what John Gray doesn't have necessarily in that tight, what I would call mechanically sound, you know, John Gray tends to fall off the mound quite a bit, um, where I think he might maybe be compromising a little bit of, of power and also control. But, man, when you talk about a hard four-seamer and good spin right. rates, that's John Gray all day He checks a lot long. of the boxes, yeah. yeah. He, he absolutely does. And so, you know, I, I love hearing that from Foster because not only are we seeing that within those young starters but they're also the guys that they're going out and targeting in free agency yeah, yep. in Wade Davis and Brian Shaw well and I think the, the the thing is is that you and I can sit there and sort of look at that type of pitch or type of pitcher and say well, okay we understand what that looks like on the field but I think what it translates to and what Foster kind of got into is and one of the things that I think has been really kind of contested or debated at Coors Field over the, the the duration of the Rockies' existence is that what type of pitcher do you get? A lot of the old wisdom was get a guy that pitches to contact for ground balls. Aaron Cook. Yes. Because, Jorge De La Rosa. Because, hey, that <laughs> way they're not hitting home runs. I found it interesting that Holmes and Foster kind of reiterated this concept that, you know what, we're okay with giving up a couple home runs. But when you play in the largest outfield, the largest field in Major League Baseball, you'd rather just not have the ball and play at all. So they're going for strikeout guys. They're going for guys that don't, you know, they don't want you to get good wood on the on the ball, whether it's a ground ball or a fly ball or whatever. They would just as soon see a lot of K's up on the on the fence. I mean, I think that's it's an interesting philosophy because yeah, of course everybody would love strikeouts in baseball, but there's certainly a type of pitcher that you go after that has a capability to wipe somebody out. And then there's one who can kind of chip away and grind and, and, and work his way behind a good defense to a real solid outing. I think they're going for the guy that, that's going to mow people down. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense to me. It, it absolutely makes a lot of sense, especially when you when you put that philosophy of we play in the largest ballpark in baseball uh, in, into the equation. The more the more balls in play, the more likely they are to it's a big find field. a hole. It's a and big field. It, it absolutely is. And so I like that. And it's not just, yes, the Rockies are, are going after power pitchers, guys with big, strong arms. You know, you think of at the major league level, John Gray, and, and you think of, of Kyle Freeland even, um, who's who's for a left-handed pitcher has, has great velocity. You think about the guys that they've drafted recently, like Riley pint, who was, you know, touching, you know, into the mid nineties in high school, which is, which is just absurd. Um, you think about those guys and you say, okay, they're, they're moving in that right direction, but they also are finding those guys, even with pitchers like Chris Russin and Chad Bettis, who, who are, not overpowering pitchers, but mix their pitches incredibly well and right. have very drastic changes in speed from their fastball to their curveball to where Chris Russin, who in my mind is probably the most valuable underrated Rocky from that club last year in, in 2017 that made that run to the wild card. Uh, those guys can go out and they can set you down. They might not mow you down, but they'll set you down. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another thing that they talk about and, and something that Rocky's pitchers of the past hadn't, hadn't really possessed, and that was a lot of variances within their pitches. They would go for guys that – a guy that's a great slider guy, a guy that's got a hard fastball, a guy that can throw a curveball. But I think what you have, and, and Rustin's a great example, is a guy who's not afraid to throw three or four pitches at any time and, and can throw them all with confidence knowing that, hey, you know what, every once in a while he might make a mistake and the ball's going to get hit out of the yard. But for the most part, that guy's going to be – 
very adequate in terms of eating up some middle innings if your starter has trouble or handing the ball to a Shaw or a Wade Davis. I mean, I mean, those are those are the kind of guys they have. And I mean, it, it's it's variance within the ability to pitch several different kind of pitches, but it's also these guys that they have are really interchangeable. I mean, you know, you saw it last year with the young guys that were capable of making the bounce to and from the bullpen to the starting role. And you also see it within the middle to long relievers where, you know, there's there's kind of a, a a belief in the past, I would say, that they had certain guys who could pitch positive, certain guys who could pitch negative, and then then there's just guys that were only had one role. I think there's so many pitchers on this Rockies team that could take the ball really in any even in any given inning, whether they're up, whether they're down whether Wade Davis is, you know, rested or whether he can't go that. I mean, there's just a lot of guys that can do a lot of things, and I think that's 100% by design. Well, you look at the, the construction of this roster, and, and it's still to be determined whether he's even going to be on the Major League roster, but I think of a guy like Carlos Estevez, who's who's fighting for that final, you know, eighth, you know, possible seventh, eighth spot in, in the bullpen, and just two years ago, he was closing games for Walt Weiss, and now right. he's potentially a minus side type of a pitcher or at least a neutral pitcher, but could step in and close a game you know, he's, he's done it. he's at least done it um and and i think that's a, a huge testament to the to the foundation that the rockies have built because estevez is a guy who came up within the organization but also what they have built while they are they know that the iron is hot and they're trying to strike and win right now by going out and signing guys like shaw and and right. mcgee and wade davis i, I want to pivot for just a quick moment um and talk about the other thing that Foster and Holmes are really trying to develop. Um, but before we do that, I do want to remind everyone, this is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. I am Casey Light. That is Doug Ottawa, the editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine. And the Blake Street Irregulars podcast is presented by Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street. We'll be hanging out there all season long. You can find the Blake Street Irregulars there. Uh, Mondays and Thursdays, uh, we will have a schedule posted on milehighsports.com as to when you can find us down there. But you don't need us to be there to go down and enjoy the 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits to any time uh, of the week, any time of the year is a great time to be down at tap 14, not just Rockies season. Doug Foster talked about those physical attributes that we look for, but one of the biggest paradigm shifts with this Rockies club is the mental change. There was always the belief and, and you, you spell this out in your story because two of the more talented pitchers, in Major League Baseball at the time, and we're going to rewind back to quite a few years, uh, signed with the Colorado Rockies in Mike Hampton and Denny Nagel in what really proved to be an unmitigated disaster for this franchise and made not just starting pitchers, but pitchers on the whole, whether it be free agents, whether it be young kids getting drafted, basically spooked everyone from being able to pitch or, or, or want to come to, Col to Colorado um, here at Coors Field. The Rockies have made a very concerted effort under Jeff Breidich, and, and Steve Foster is is kind of at the front end of this, as the as you describe him, the, both the mental and spiritual pitching leader of, of the organization, um, that they're looking for guys that are young, yep. humble, hungry, and mentally tough. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important because they need, if they're going to succeed here in in Coors Field, they need to be willing to be roughed up every once in a while. They need to be able to bounce back, and they need to not be afraid to have those things happen. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that goes hand-in-hand hand with with what you were alluding to in that Jeff Breidich has essentially gone to Dick Monfort and said, look, 
we need to invest in pitching and we need to take risks with pitching, but those risks are so much more calculated now than they were with Hampton and Nagel. I think whether you're talking about then or now, you, me, anybody who plays rotisserie baseball can go out and go, there's the 10 top pitchers. There they are. There's just, there's no denying it. But I think the difference is, and that's what Dan O'Dowd did when he looked at the the free agent possibilities of it back in 2000 and said, yep, Nagel, he, we'll, we'll bring him in here. He's got some years left. And Hampton, we'll give him more money than we've than any baseball player has ever been given in history, and he'll come here. That's what he did. But I think if you if you rewind and you said, okay, what would have Jeff Breidich have done in that in that situation? I think that he would have looked at those guys, but he probably would have said, there's this, this, and this that we don't necessarily like about each one of these guys because they don't fit our criteria, whether that be the the nuts and bolts things that we talked about, the the four seam, uh, the hard throwing, uh, you know, all those those things that they like in a pitcher, the mechanical stuff, and maybe it, they would have looked at some of the intangibles. Is is Mike Hampton as mentally tough? Is he as teachable? Is he as moldable? Does he fit what we want to do? Will he do what we ask him to do? Is Denny Nagel young enough? I think he was 33 when he came to the Rockies. Uh, is he somebody that we can change or teach something within our philosophy? And I, they probably would have said no to both of those guys. And and they may have said yes to Hampton, but but they may have had a, a you know, a, a reason beyond just oh he's the best guy, you know. And and I think what's what really hurt the Rockies back then is that you know Nagel was poor for sure, and Mike Hampton wasn't much better, but. Hampton went on to actually be decent after he left Colorado. So there was, it just added to that narrative of people saying, you just can't do it at Colorado. Well, and I think knowing what we know now, Mike Hampton was not the right kind of pitcher for Colorado. Exactly. And, and, and look, let's be fair to Dan O'Dowd because to his credit, he followed the traditional logic of the day. Let's, let's not forget that this was in the year 2000 when most players were, I shouldn't say most players. Look, I, I don't want to get myself in trouble with the the fine powers that be at, at Major League Baseball. But I, I can offer personal anecdotal evidence that can tell you that even at the lower to mid-tier college level, steroids were rampant even at that level in baseball. Sure. And so the, the logic, like you said, was find the 10 best rotisserie guys and throw money at them. Right. Uh, baseball has changed, not just Definitely. because it has been cleaned up from that perspective um, in the sense that Mike Hampton is not throwing against guys like Rafael Palmero and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, who are just completely jacked. Um, but baseball has changed because we have better technology. We have better resources. We have better analytics. Uh, we know how to try and find the guys that work in the right places. That data and information was not there in 2000. Nope. It was the word the... analytics was not thrown around at all in the, in the year 2000. And, it just wasn't. And, and so you have to credit Breidich and, and Dick Monfort and the entire Rockies organization for bringing in guys, you know, like Trevor patch, who's head of baseball research and development. Um, Evan Eshelman, who, is is all a part of that team guys who are figuring out and doing the math and and running the hard numbers to figure out what actually does work at what type of pitcher works in this organization um it's you know moneyball you know gets thrown around what the Oakland A's did um as sort of the 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 model or, or sort of the the philosophy but it goes
goes well beyond that these days. It it really is. I mean, the the type of things that they're doing from an analytics standpoint will will really just blow your mind. And so the Rockies have have begun to add that and really capitalize on that and are starting to figure out this is the type of guy that we need and are doing a great job of communicating that to not only the prospects when they draft them and are developing them, but also to guys like Shaw and Davis who understand, hey, a pitcher like you can be and will be successful under these circumstances here at Coors Field. And that's a huge credit to to the Rockies, not just thinking that the answer is throw money at it, because there are still some teams out there who think just throw money at the problem. Yes, Wade Davis received the largest contract for a relief pitcher in MLB history, but there was a good chance he was going to get that, whether it was with Colorado or elsewhere. I think the... The, the Hampton-Nagel thing is a, is a really interesting sort of case study because what those guys did and set the organization back literally a dozen to 15 years can also be flipped. I mean, if you have Greg Holland coming in and you have Wade Davis coming in and both of them have success here as, as closers, just like they had in their previous stops, and then you have four really, really talented young pitchers come in and have two, three successful years in a row as a group, I mean, they will undo what Hampton and Nagel did. They will basically rewrite how and why people can pitch in Colorado. And I think that's, that's a, it's, you know, I I know that these guys don't necessarily look at that, especially the pitchers themselves, but I do think that that Jeff Breidich and and Steve Foster and uh, Darren Holmes do. I think they look at how do how do we change the perception of what's going on here? And then you throw in somebody like uh, Bud Black, and, and Bud Black understands not only what his organization is trying to do, but he understands the mindset of a pitcher, and he's a great communicator. That was one of the things that pretty much every one of the people I talked to uh, kind of mentioned is, hey, Bud Black, he knows us. He knows us as pitchers, and, and he's a great communicator. He's He's not afraid to ask a guy how you feel, and if the guy says so, so, he'll sit him down. I mean, just I, I think the daily give and take interaction between Bud Black and his staff, and then Bud Black back to the organization is really, really paying off and, and, and quickly. Yeah, Bud Black to me does not seem resigned to being also ran, and I think that's no. as bad as it may say. And, and no disrespect to Walt Weiss, but I, I almost feel like you know f- during his tenure, it was almost as though. Walt Weiss looked at it from the perspective of it'd be nice if we could compete, but we don't expect to, and and we're hoping that we can. And, and boy, it'd be great. We've got some good players, but you know, Bud Black looks at it and says, "No, this is this is there are great great players within this organization, and he wants to be a part of something special." And, and I think that's a, a, a another testament to the moves that Jeff Breidich has made, in, in that he did not resign himself to saying, "I'm going to you know I'm going to just pick a guy that that." that will take the job he went out and found a guy who wants the job and wants to prove that Colorado is a place where pitching can be successful despite its lengthy history of not yeah and I think whether you're a reporter like me or a manager like Bud Black if you sit down and you talk to Jeff Breidich by the end of that conversation you will at least have bought into a little bit if not a lot bit of what he's trying to do and I think that says a lot about Jeff Breidich because, look, and I was among them as well, but when he took the podium at his first press conference, everybody kind of said, what in the heck is this organization doing? 
Jeff Bradich wasn't polished in front of a microphone, in front of the media, whatnot. He'd never had that role. But it came across as a, as a, as a bad look. The Rockies hired from within once again. We've got this guy who you know, kind of bumbled and stumbled through his opening press conference. But if you talk to Jeff Bradich right now, you understand immediately that this is a very, very sharp guy. And this guy not only is bright, but has a very succinct plan as to what he wants to do and how he's going to do it. And I think if you're Bud Black and you and you hear that and you hear him out, I mean, Ian Desmond talked about it a little bit. If you hear what Jeff Breidich's thoughts are and you hear his plans, it's pretty hard not to say, all right, there's some logic behind that and, and I'm, I'm in. And I'm, I'm assuming that all these guys, Bud Black, Greg Holland, Wade Davis, Brian Shaw, Ian Desmond, you name it, the guys that have come into here have probably gotten some form of the idea of what Jeff Bradish is trying to do, and that's why they're Rockies. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting development that we've seen with Jeff Breidich because you're right. He absolutely was unpolished, obviously a bright mind guy coming out of Harvard. Uh, the fear obviously with him was that he was tutored by Dan O'Dowd, came up with Dan O'Dowd, who a lot of folks had had very negative perceptions of. And, you know, maybe we were a bit too harsh on Dan O'Dowd. Let's not forget that he did develop two playoff teams over the course of three years, including the club's first and only at this point, National League pennant. And so that there was justifiable reticence is what I'll call it about Jeff Breidich. But what we're starting to see is the development of of a great, great baseball mind, potentially. Uh, I don't want to go out and quite make that claim yet, just like no, just he, like Bud Black won't call absolutely. John Gray an ace. Uh, we can't say that about Jeff Breidich. You know, we're, we can't make the Theo Epstein type of comparisons yet. Not yet, but I, and I think that Jeff Breidich would be fine with that. But what, but what is better here is that philosophy of we need to learn and we need to figure out how to make this work then say the Denver Broncos to make a, a local sports comparison who pulled in John Elway and John Elway has survived by his name and Peyton Manning's name and being able to spend lavishly in free agency. That's where John always had his most success sure. as a general manager. Uh, not to say that John Elway came in, uh, you know, spouting all kinds of, of, you know, snake oil pitches, but John Elway wasn't building from the ground up. And we saw that come home to roost in 2017 when the Broncos finished five and 11. Uh, the Colorado Rockies have been moving in the other direction since that, you know, near hundred loss season back in 2012, the year before before Nolan Arenado came up, where they've slowly but surely been inching up. And Jeff Breidich has been a major player in the organization since yeah. that time. We need to wrap up, Doug, but before we do, I, 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 we've been overly positive, overly optimistic, and perhaps justifiably so because of the great things that we've seen, and we're still riding that high of a wild card game. Uh, last year, the 85, or sorry, the 87-75 record. Uh, lots of positives, tons of optimism heading into this season, but what we haven't touched on is the the sustainability of it, and I think that, to me, is what this really comes down to. Uh, we have seen Colorado Rockies pitchers do well previously. Uh, Sean, even homegrown guys. I think of Sean Chacon, an all-star in 2003, but over the next year and a half went 2-16. and 16. We think of Aaron Cook, uh, an all-star for the Colorado Rockies, number two on the franchise all-time wins list, but never won. Uh, he won double-digit games only two times in his career. Ubaldo Jimenez, who pitched the, the franchise's only no-hitter, was an all-star in 2010 and kind of disappeared after that. We saw great things from this club last year and from the pitchers in particular. Now we need to see them 
sustain. And that to me is really where the rubber hits the road is, is can this be sustained? I hope so. And I think, look, you're probably not going to have every single one of all the pitchers that did well last year pan out to be hall of famers. I mean, that's a, that's an unrealistic expectation. Um, they're going to slot themselves. There's going to be a pecking order. One of them will turn out to be great. Maybe another one may, may not. And, and maybe that has to do with injury. Maybe that has to do with development. You never know. But I would say this, the, the insurance policy that, that I would bank on is Foster and Holmes, because I think that they have a firm grasp on who they're working with. And if and when they veer from their path, I think those two guys are as capable as anybody that I've ever heard of or known within the Rockies organization of getting them back on, on the right track. And I, I think that's, that's where I say, uh, is it sustainable? It's not sustainable to the point of being 100% optimistic about 100% everybody within the, the organization, but I do think that it is by and large sustainable because of those two guys. Well, Darren Holmes was one of the few relief pitchers in Rockies history to have sustained success at this organization. Uh, it's a reason he's still here within the, within the organization now, kind of the same reason that Vinny Castilla is still involved. Yep. Uh, you see Vinny uh, running around because, Hey, they wanted to hang on to some of that success from those Blake street bomber days. And obviously the Rockies hitters have benefited from that. Uh, I won't take it to the bank quite yet. I, I think it's a little bit early. I'm not Absolutely. going to, uh, I'm not going to uh, put my world series 2019 dollars down quite yet, but uh, there is plenty of reason to be excited about it. And, I can't wait uh, for folks to get an opportunity to read this story of yours. It will be available in the April issue of Mile High Sports magazine. You can find it at milehighsports.com, available for single single issue purchase and also subscription. So please go to milehighsports.com and click on the subscribe link for either of those. That issue will be available as of next Friday. As of next Thursday, we will be talking about real live baseball, not hey, just hey, Cactus hey. League. We will be talking about... The Colorado Rockies and the Arizona Diamondbacks squaring off in game one of 162 of the 2018 season. I cannot wait for it. This has been the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. Please get yourself down to 1920 Blake Street and celebrate the start of Rockies season with 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. You will have plenty of reasons to celebrate Tap 14 as well. We'll talk to you on Monday as we enter the home stretch ahead of the season. This is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14.